0: I'm Bridget Stomberg.
1: And I'm Lisa D. Simone.
0: And this is Taxes for the Masses.
1: Today's episode is on the so called tax loophole surrounding carried interest.
0: Carried interest is one form of compensation typically received by investment managers in the hedge fund, private equity, and venture capital industries. However, in contrast to management fees also earned by these investment managers, Income from their, quote, carry, is often subject to lower capital gains tax rates. In today's episode, we discuss the pros and cons of taxing carried interest as capital gains, as well as the current state of the political discourse on this topic.
1: Hello, Lisa. Ahoy there, lassie B.
0: Um... Is this punishment for me speaking with an English accent in a prior episode? Are you you retaliating against me? What is happening? Aye, matey. Today we speak of the stuff of legends. And here I thought we were going to talk about carried interest. Okay. Legendary. Yes, sure. Go on. Aye, yes. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. No, wrong story. Ah, 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 yes,
1: it is, Métis, yes. In the 12th century... Oh, God. There were, ...there were great, great big ships bearing fantastical treasures from far-off lands. Dangerous voyages replete with shipwrecks, pirates, mermaids, not to mention um, a complete lack of tools to accurately gauge longitude, and thus a high risk of certain death.
0: I... I generally know what's happening at the beginning of the podcast. I am still waiting anxiously to understand how any of this is relevant. Yarg! you bilge-sucking landlubber. What? <laughs> and we're done. Thank you, listeners, for sticking with us through two years of taxes for the masses. Did you just call me a bilge-sucking landlubber? I...
1: Okay. So these uh, Continue. These merchants bringing back spices and treasures from far off lands had an interesting financial arrangement to pay for their services.
0: Okay, Uh, let me guess, a carried interest? I. Oh my gosh, okay.
1: Yes, at a high level, carried interest is just a way of sharing profits among participants in a risky venture. And I'm done speaking in a slightly Irish pirate accent. But, you know, with pirates, bandits, and that inability to measure longitude and actually know where you were on the planet, it's safe to say that yield merchants of Venice and the like, um, not to mention their investors, they were bearing a lot of risk.
0: Okay. So question, do you do this for your students? I think that this, this would be a very good way to, I don't know, either get them interested in tax or just send them screaming from the business school altogether.
1: A risky venture.
0: A risky venture. Yes. Okay. Um, All right. So these pirates came up with a way for investors and those doing the work to share in the profits.
1: Well, it was, it was the merchants, not, not the pirates.
0: Okay. So the merchants came up with a way for investors and those doing the work, I guess the pirates. No, no, no. The merchants were doing the work. So where, where are the pirates coming into this? They come in and try to steal the oh, goods. Oh, that's that are the being... risk. The pirates are the risk. Yes. Rest. Okay. All right. Sorry. This was lost to me. How How is this unclear to you? I, Why yeah, is I'm it sorry. taking so long? Come on. So, get with So it. clear. Maybe it was the accent that was throwing me. Okay. So the merchants came up with a way for investors and those doing the work to share in the profits
1: exactly yes the captain of the ship who was transporting these goods the risky venture would get a fixed share of the profits they carried in their ship while investors back home would get the rest
0: in today's world the captains are investment managers for hedge funds venture capital funds private equity funds etc they get a share of the profits of the funds which is their carried interest and the investors get the rest
1: precisely The old school model of compensation for investment managers is called two and 20. Um, So investment managers for sure get that 2% of the assets under management and they get that regardless of whether the investments profit.
0: So what you are describing to me is fixed payment for services rendered. Yes. And by my definition, that sounds a lot like compensation. Yes. Yes. So they get paid, these managers, for their investment management services based on the assets invested, regardless of whether those services are profitable and liked by the investors. Yes. And so if you're with me so far and we're going to consider that compensation, it should be taxed as ordinary income.
1: And it is. Woo. Yep, the percentage of assets under management, that 2 2%, 2% under the old school 2 and 20 compensation model, that's treated as compensation and taxes ordinary income. Current top rates are 37% on ordinary income and as far as I know, nobody's clamoring to change the tax treatment of this part of investment managers compensation.
0: Okay, well thank God for small favors. Right. But lots of people have clamored to change the second part of investment managers compensation, which under that old school two and 20 model you referenced is traditionally 20% of the profits of the investment. Yes. Question is, is that investment income or service income?
1: Exactly. On the one hand, they only get paid a share of the profits if there are profits to begin with. Roger that. And that's despite providing the investment service regardless of whether there's a profit. So if you squint really hard, you can kind of see the argument for why this is more like investment income and not like service income, meaning it should be taxed at the lower capital gains tax rate that currently tops out at 20% plus the 3.8% net investment income tax for high earners, which these investment managers very likely are.
0: Absolutely. So gonna play devil's advocate here.
1: I was counting on it.
0: That's what I'm here for. They don't bear 20% of any losses. True all they're on the hook for is whatever they have invested personally in the funds. Right. So that is they only get 20% of the upside, but they don't share in the downside. Right. And to me, that sounds like performance-based compensation, which we've talked about in prior episodes um, for public corporations, executives get mm-hmm. the, a lot of their compensation tied to the stock price of the company. Mm-hmm. And when they get that initial chunk of compensation, that is taxed as ordinary income in the year that it is received. Any future appreciation is capital gains, but that that initial payment that they get is taxed as ordinary income.
1: Indeed it is, yes. But people still try to liken uh, the investment manager's situation to equity so that capital gains treatment seems more appropriate, even though it's not actually a financial investment that managers are making in the business in order to earn these returns.
0: Uh, Yes, and that is where this term, quote, sweat equity comes in. The argument is that they are making an investment, they're just making it in their effort rather than with financial investment.
1: Exactly. Yes. So basically the resources they are putting at risk is their time and effort.
0: But time and effort to produce a service in exchange for funds is the very definition of compensation. And if I go back to that performance-based compensation analogy, oftentimes that compensation, like we said, is in the form of stock, which is equity. So I'm really struggling to see the distinction here.
1: Yeah, no argument here on that. Um, at this point, people usually argue for the need to encourage investment in innovation and risk-taking in order to help keep our economy growing. And tax policy is a key way. We typically encourage investment and innovation and risk-taking, um, you know, lots of examples in our tax code deductions for investments, credits for R and D, uh, lower tax rates on certain types of income deemed to arise from innovative activity. Lots of examples.
0: Totally. But are you saying that investment managers wouldn't be starting hedge funds or private equity funds or venture capital funds without the tax break on carried interest?
1: Yeah, that's where it kind of breaks down.
0: I mean, right? Like I find that hard to believe and I know my record is totally broken here, but stock-based compensation for executives is granted under similar logic that managers on average are, you know, at best risk neutral. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they might be risk averse. And if we want them to take on, That risk, and to be innovative, we need to give them equity in the company and tax it as compensation.
1: Yep, and with low interest rates up until the past year and the market coming off of a pretty long bull run, uh, even despite COVID, there's been a lot of interest by investors in these types of funds. Investors were flocking to them with loads of cash looking for those returns. And that's at least one reason why these industries have grown phenomenally over the past decade or so.
0: And that growth means lots of money flowing into the pockets of these investment managers.
1: Agreed. And what's interesting is that the capital gains treatment of carried interest dates back to the 50s or 60s, as far as we can tell. And back then, the top ordinary uh, income tax rate was, wait for it, over 90%. It's just bananas. And these investment industries were
0: pretty small. I would say very small, especially compared to what they've become today. So the point being that these were very big savings for a very small number of investment managers. Yes. Also because I can't help myself. Oh dear. Stock-based compensation for executives was much less popular during this time. Yes. So riddle me this, Batman. How much do we think we're talking about in terms of tax benefits today from this carried interest loophole? Because you're raising a good point that you know, 60 years ago, it Mm -hmm. wasn't that many people who were affected. Maybe they weren't earning that much money, but what are we thinking we're losing out on from a tax revenue perspective today?
1: Well, Wonder Woman, in 2022, Congress estimated that closing the carried interest loophole would raise revenues by anywhere from 14 billion to 63 billion over 10 years.
0: Okay, so that's like between one and $6 billion per year
1: which is a pretty wide range i don't know why it's so wide but yes those are the estimates
0: all right i don't mean to sound bougie here but in the grand scheme of things that's not very much
1: i mean i wouldn't turn down a billion dollars
0: no to you and me it's very much but to the federal government fair right now we're sitting on a federal deficit of over one trillion dollars trillion with a t yeah so closing this particular loophole isn't going to get us very far towards closing the deficit.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's less than a rounding error to the federal government. Exactly. Okay, but should we be giving tax breaks to the wealthy just because it's not very big in the grand scheme of things? I mean, isn't it the principle that matters? Your principles are gonna
0: get you into trouble someday. Yar! Is that a quote from a movie? Yar? No, your principles are gonna get you into trouble someday.
1: Okay, so carried interest is one way investment managers earn a living, and it arguably has some features that make it kind of like a capital gain. And more features that make it really like (laughs) compensation that should be taxed at ordinary income rates. Sure, and that's precisely the argument made by politicians for why we should be changing the taxation of carried interest.
0: But the whole conversation didn't start with politicians, but rather with Victor Fleischer, a law professor at UC Irvine. He wrote a paper in 2007 that in his own words, quote, establishes that the status quo is an untenable position as a matter of tax policy, end quote. Love that quote. That was really the first warning shot across the bow of investment managers.
1: Ooh, excellent nautical reference. Do I need to go back to my pirate speak?
0: No, you do not. (laughs) Okay.
1: Of course, after 2007 came the great financial crisis.
0: Um, or as you and I once claimed in the abstract of a working paper, um, we called it the great financial crisis. <laughs> yeah, not, not one of our
1: finest moments presenting that paper. Um, so tell you
0: spell check. But we, we lived to
1: tell uh, the tale. And the whole Occupy Wall Street movement really took up the mantle of not giving bailouts and tax preferences to the financial services sector. So carried interest fell very neatly within their sights.
0: Now, there were some debates in Congress in those early years, but nobody in Congress really took up the mantle for dismantling this carried interest loophole.
1: I do remember Obama promising to tax carried interest as ordinary income in the 2008 election campaign. Unfortunately, that did not happen despite the fact that he was elected president.
0: Uh, No, and in fact, it was still an issue in 2012 when it became known that then presidential candidate Mitt Romney had put some of his carried interest into his Mm. retirement accounts.
1: Yeah, I remember that. And I thought he also put some of his carried interest into a type of trust that helps him get these gains out of his estate in order to avoid estate taxes on the appreciation.
0: So it was an issue in 08, it was an issue in 2012. And by the now infamous 2016 election, three presidential candidates campaigned on eliminating the loophole. And you're gonna love this group of okay. this Motley Okay, I'm waiting. Jeb Bush, yeah. Donald
1: Trump, yeah.
0: and Hillary Clinton. Bipartisanship, woohoo! Both Republicans and Democrats hate the loophole. Indeed. In fact, Republicans tighten the rules somewhat Mm. with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. While it used to be that the investment fund had to hold onto the investment for at least a year to get capital gains treatment on the carry, which is totally logical because that's the general rule to make a capital gain long-term and qualify for a lower rate. Yep. The TCJA extended that holding period to three years. Mm, That's not quite...
1: What I would call eliminating the loophole.
0: Nope. I said tightened. I did not say eliminated. True.
1: All right. So we're now at two presidents who did not uphold their promises around carried interest.
0: And that's shocking, quite frankly. (laughs) And that so-called tightening, that verb that I used actually for being honest, it didn't really tighten anything very much. Okay. Okay. Uh, Most private equity funds hold their investments on average for at least five years. So moving the holding period requirement from one year to three years didn't really impact anybody too much.
1: Well, that's pretty clever. I mean, it's a really nice way of making it look like you're doing something productive and useful to the American people, but really you're
0: not doing anything at all. Um, Isn't that what politicians major in in college? Yeah. Uh, Then came President Biden and the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. All right, so Joe's gonna get it done, right? The original compromise bill between the House and the Senate, both of which were narrowly controlled by Democrats at the time, got rid of this carried interest loophole once and for all. Woo hoo! Even the perennial holdout Joe Manchin was on board with axing it. Um, but not Kirsten Cinema. That's right. There's there's two of them we have to worry about. No, not Kirsten Cinema. The senator from Arizona would not cast her crucial vote in favor of passing the Inflation Reduction Act until they cut out the part that would have ended the carried interest loophole. So the favorable tax treatment of carried interest lives on.
1: Yeah, her office is quoted as saying, "quote at a time of record inflation, rising interest rates and slowing economic growth, disincentivizing investments in Arizona businesses would hurt Arizona's economy and ability to create jobs. Mm-hmm. And my question is, whose jobs are we protecting here? Mm-hmm. What are all these jobs in the financial services industry in Arizona?
0: Um, okay, so whose job are we protect? Oh, I have an idea. Okay. Hers, her uh-huh. job. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it has been noted by several news outlets that Cinema took, let's say, sizable donations from lobby groups intent on keeping the carried interest loophole intact. And that makes sense as mm-hmm. an explanation for how all of this went down. Okay,
1: cool. So now we're at three presidents who have failed to pass bipartisan supported legislation to kill the carried interest loophole, despite each of them having control of at least one house in Congress during their tenure.
0: And all I can say is uh, that must be a pretty powerful lobbying group.
1: Well, we know that they have a lot of money. Uh, yeah. Good you point. You know, from not paying taxes on their income at ordinary rates that, that, that can, that savings can buy a lot of lobbying.
0: Excellent. Excellent point. All right. Time for the good, the bad and the ugly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Starting off with the good. Yes. Um, the good of this topic of carried interest loopholes.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. The good. Right. Right. I'm 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 struggling. Same. I mean, the basis for giving a lower rate to carried interest is tenuous. Closing the loophole has bipartisan support. And yet, we still can't get it done.
0: I agree with all of that. Um, So, I'm going to stretch a bit here and try and say that although it's bad and ugly that we can't close the loophole, at least it doesn't matter very much in the grand (laughs) scheme of things. I don't know. I'm trying. Uh, Like you said, we're talking about maybe $1, $6 billion a year. It's a lot of money to ordinary citizens, but maybe not to the federal government. So maybe it's just not enough money to really get up in arms about.
1: Okay, um, first of all, I appreciate your effort to come up Trying. with something good here. That was, that was fantastic and unexpected. And I, <laughs> and I appreciate you. Thank you. You're smart and you're pretty and people <laughs> love you.
0: What, what is that line? You are kind, you are smart, you are important. You are okay. Whatever. I'm. I'm going to the help. Are you trying to do Stuart's mind? Yeah, yeah. No. 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 The help. Yes. You are. Yeah. You was kind. You was smart. You was important. Okay. Okay. All Thank of you. those things.
1: Um, and on the one hand, I I hear what you're saying. On the other hand, if it's not that big of a deal, then why are we holding up President Biden's landmark tax and climate yeah. legislation over it? Yeah. I mean, if it's not a big deal, that argument should cut both ways, and it just shouldn't yep. matter that much. But evidently, it's a very big deal to Senator Cinema, and those who talked her into giving Democrats, quote, no choice, according to Senator Schumer, but to keep that preferential tax benefit in
0: for a high earning group of taxpayers who don't need it. No, you're right. I tried to say something good. Thank you for appreciating it, but it didn't work. And so clearly we have now moved on to the bad. Yes. It is very odd to me that three presidents and more presidential candidates have wanted or at least claimed to have wanted to close the loophole yet couldn't get it done.
1: Yeah, and it's presidential candidates on both sides of the aisle here. So how much do we think they really, really, deep in
0: their heart of hearts, actually want to get it done? So clearly not enough to actually get it done. (laughs) True, um, so we've heard a theory from someone who knows way more about tax policy and the political process than than we do.
1: Which is most people.
0: Which is most people. <laughs> but I, I I actually truly respect and, and give some credence to what this person had to say. Okay. And um his opinion was that carried interest is just a topic that both sides like to use as a bargaining chip. Okay. So bear with me here. Democrats like it as a talking point because it looks good for their side to say, we're gonna tax the rich, we're gonna you know, shut down yeah. this loophole that benefits the you know, tippy top 1%. But they do it knowing that Republicans will be willing to trade them something to make sure the loophole is preserved.
1: Huh. And so Dems just, they're basically just bringing it up as an issue just to get concessions, but they don't really care about the loophole getting closed?
0: Exactly, and then Republicans, on the other hand, can look good trying to raise the issue too, knowing that Dems won't really let the loophole ever be closed.
1: Okay, that's that's pretty bad. It is. Um, but that's just the bad, and I know I don't have to be the one to break out the ugly here.
0: No, you don't, because the Inflation Reduction Act had to be revenue neutral. Right. Right. And axing the carried interest loophole was in that compromise draft that Manchin signed off on accounting for the additional revenue, that $1 to $6 billion per year. Yep. But when Cinema comes in and refuses to allow the bill to move forward, then she also is basically taking out that $1 to $6 billion per year of increased revenues from the bill. And that meant for it to be revenue neutral, we had to do something else to get that $1 to $6 billion of revenue to take its place.
1: I'm with you so far.
0: And that, dear listeners... what gave birth to the god awful stock buyback tax that we have discussed in other episodes.
1: Uh, Yes, I think we pretty clearly dissected all of the ways that tax makes no sense.
0: None. In contrast, closing the carried interest loophole makes a ton of sense. But there you go again with your logic and your principles and you wanting our politicians to be logical and to have principles. Okay, so if it makes you feel any better, these logic
1: and principles that I have get me absolutely nowhere. Yeah. Oh, well done. Well, that's all we have time for today.
0: Be sure to join us for more tax nerdery on future episodes of Taxes for the Masses.